Amen. Well, I'm going to begin the message this morning really with a, a prayer request. And uh, what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to read a passage from uh, Melissa Wells, our missionary to the Czech Republic, uh, of her latest update. Uh, copies are available out in the foyer if you would like to pick one up and uh, take it home so that you can uh, be reminded of her struggles. And, uh, you know, I think for some of us, as we work through a letter like this first uh, epistle of Peter, uh, and we talk about suffering, uh, even though we understand the concept, uh, I, I think sometimes that the experience of suffering for the cause of Christ is something that is really not a part of our experience as American Christians. Uh, very few of us, I, I think, ever have the, uh, the opportunity to truly suffer in the way that Peter and the early disciples did, and Christians have uh, throughout the course of history, and as our brothers and sisters, as Peter reminds us around the world, are suffering even today. Uh, we have pretty much had, a, had an easy go of it here. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that that I won't really go into this morning, but I just want to say this, and I want to read this to you, because suffering in Christ is a reality today. It is not just a biblical concept that we want you to be aware of. This is something that has been promised to those who truly desire to walk with the Lord. When we walk with the Lord, even in the United States of America, when we truly determine to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we're promised that there will be persecution and suffering. Uh, so perhaps the reason that many of us don't experience that suffering and persecution should be evident to us. Maybe we're simply not living the way that God has called us to live. Uh, Melissa writes these words. She says, Dear praying friends, and I hope that that's what we are, uh, at least for her, praying friends. She says, All the seasons are beginning to change outside my window. Or she says, As the seasons are beginning to change outside my window. I am taking stock of the seasons that I have been in and will be in. And she says, both of them are doozies. I am excited for what is to come, but I could really use your prayers. And she entitles this portion, A Season of Struggle. And she said, honesty moment. Sometimes life is a struggle. I'm so grateful for God's presence and care during hard times, but they're still difficult, especially when they seem to go on and on. The past four months have been like this for me. You may recall that I seriously injured my back at the end of May. Since then, I have been working super hard trying to rehab it. So hard, in fact, that I ended up damaging my calves and triggering plantar fasciitis in both my feet by the end of August. This necessitated staying off my feet as much as possible for 14 days, as well as receiving special treatments almost daily on my legs and feet. After this, I was able to walk as long as I massaged them, massaged both my calves and feet for 30 minutes upon walking, wrapped both feet in ace bandages to wear throughout the day, and massaged them both again with a special cream before putting them into braces for the evening. Then two weeks ago, just as I was finally recovering from all that, I contracted two different infections which have almost completely wiped me out. Thankfully, the meds I started are beginning to help, and I but I still have a long way to go. And then I love this, this is just so Melissa. She says, I know and trust the one 
who has gifted me this season of struggle. Gifted me this season of struggle. And she says, and I'm fully confident that he is and will use it to accomplish good things in my life. But still the struggle is real. So would you please pray for me, especially for the full recovery of my health, for eyes to see how God is using this lesson for my good and his glory. Thanks. So I want us to pray right now. I want us to bow our heads and pray uh, for Melissa. Uh, you have heard her request. She is struggling uh, physically with her back, her legs, her feet. Uh, she is, for all practical purposes, alone in the Czech Republic, thousands of miles away from us and her family, all that's familiar to her, uh, doing what God has called her to do. And so when you couple that, that distance, that aloneness with this kind of suffering that she has been experiencing, it can be a, a true test of faith. And yet, uh, we can see how, how well she's handling. But I want us to pray for her right now. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we bow before you today uh, as those who really can't put ourselves in Melissa's shoes. Uh, Lord, uh, we feel for her. We love her. We desire health and strength and uh, happiness for her, joy and satisfaction. Lord, the ability to do what you have called her to do and to, to see the fruit of her labor there in the Czech Republic. Lord, we want all of these things, and we thank you for the opportunity not only to pray, but to support her through our, our giving. Uh, and so, Lord, we just lift her up to you right now. We pray that wherever she is, whatever she's doing, that uh, somehow you would let her know uh, that her family is on its knees in her behalf. I pray that you would just encourage her in this moment, relieve pain in this, in this moment. Lord, do for her what you alone can do for her. Uh, just remind her, Father, as she trusts in you that all is well, that you are in control, that nothing is too difficult for you, and that there are good days ahead. I pray that even today, would be a good day. I pray that today would be a turning point for her, one that she would become vividly aware of. So Lord, we thank you for her. We thank you for her faithfulness. We pray, Father, that we would live our lives in such a way that we too would have the privilege, that we would be found worthy as the disciples were in those early days of the gospel of, of suffering along with Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we want you to know we love you. We pray you'd open our eyes now to the, the message that you have set before us in Peter's letter. And uh, again, may it not only find a, a home in our hearts, but may it change us. Uh, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 is where we'll begin reading in just a moment. As you can see, we're nearing the end of our series. I just want to encourage everyone to please make every effort to be back next week. We're going to have a, a, a guest preacher, uh, Brother Jeff Lynn, uh, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful service. He's a, he's a man of God. He loves the Lord. He loves the, the church of Jesus Christ. He has served as a pastor for more than 25 years. He continues to serve through our state convention and just doing a great, great work. And uh, we are fortunate to have the opportunity to have him stand here and preach the Word of God to us. So again, all of you who are here, all of you who are watching from home, let's make every effort to be right here 
next Sunday morning uh, to, to take part in that very special worship service. Uh, I, I know that, uh, that Brother Jeff has got a word of God, a word from God for us, so I, I want to encourage you uh, to be here. And then, of course, the following week, which will be the last weekend in October, uh, we'll, we'll finish things up with a message from these last couple of verses, uh, and then it'll be November, believe it or not, and we're going to begin a series on Thanksgiving. So uh, again, I hope that you will be praying for Brother Neil and myself uh, as, uh, as we prepare uh, for those, the, the Thanksgiving series, and then, of course, following that in December, our, our annual Christmas series uh, as well. I, I've entitled this message, uh, again, uh, Along Our Way in the Wild. Uh, the reality is that we are kind of walking through this world, right? Uh, we, are, we are walking along that path that God has laid out for us, uh, and, uh, and there are various experiences for us along the way. Of course, some uh, lead to great joy and satisfaction. Some, of course, lead to great struggle and often sacrifice and suffering. But again, this is the way, the road that God has set us on. Uh, and there are certain things that we should expect along the way. Uh, I think that's <clears throat> true of any journey that we take. Uh, and certainly this, this Christian uh, life is a journey. Uh, that we have really only just begun. Uh, you know, one of the great comforts, as we're going to see at the end of this message, is knowing that the experience that we are having now uh, is not nearly what God has in store for us fully and finally. Uh, that ought to help us uh, no matter where we are uh, in our journey. But let me read these verses to you. If you have your Bible, please follow along. I believe the words will be on the screen uh, here at the front if you do not have a Bible. Uh, Peter simply says this, Again, and you have to remember, this is following on the heels of last week's message and, of course, that last verse that Neil dealt with, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so verse 6, where we'll begin today, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen, Peter says. Uh, again, as I listened and as I sang along this morning with the songs, uh, these almost militant musical pieces, uh, these, are, these are songs really designed to prepare us for the battle that is before us, to encourage us in that battle, all right? When you're going into war, you need a powerful uh, motivation, a powerful reminder of, of the presence of God in your life. And again, as, Lord, as, as Neil expressed a moment ago, that the Lord of hosts, the, 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 the commander of the angels of heaven uh, is with us. He is on our side. Uh, it, it should encourage us as we, as we face the battle, whatever the battle of the day 
may be. But, but here, Peter, as he concludes this letter, he, he gives us some insight into how we should think and, and really how we should behave along the way. Again, if you notice, there are, there are words of encouragement and then there are words of, 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 of challenge. There are, there, there are words of comfort and, and then there are words of, of warning. And that's what uh, is appropriate for the Christian life. Uh, I would love to stand up here and say that every day of your life uh, should be a mountaintop day where you can just see clearly for miles and miles. The air is clear. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day. Not a care in the world, but we all know that's not the reality, right? There are those glorious days, uh, but many days are dark and discouraging, and uh, we can experience, like Melissa has, days of suffering and this sense of being alone in our suffering. And so Peter writes as a pastor to remind us that we should never really allow ourselves to go too deeply into that kind of mindset. We're never truly alone. Uh, and again, these circumstances that have led to our suffering are really, as Melissa said, a gift, a gift from God. Hard for us sometimes in the midst of our suffering to think about it that way. That's why we need to gear up our right attitude now before those times of difficulty come. Humble yourselves, he says, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you notice here, what Peter does is he contrasts this element of pride and this element of humility. Uh, they're really contrary to one another. And, and what we should be as Christians, as Christ himself was, we should be humble. We should be meek. We should be lowly. That doesn't imply that we are weak or passive. It just implies that we are trusting in the one who is all-powerful to do for us whatever he has determined to do through the circumstances that he has allowed into our lives. Humble yourselves. That Really what, what Peter is saying is, look, along the way, even in the midst of suffering and struggle, rest. There is rest in the Lord. You know, uh, we all know people, they have a hard time resting, right? There are some people who just have a hard time resting. You just got to be busy all the time. And when we see a picture of that in the New Testament with Mary and Martha, the sisters, right? One was quite content to sit at the feet of Jesus. The other, oh no, she had to be busy every minute as if everything depended on her. And we see people just like that in our world. Peter says to all of us, take a deep breath. Rest in the Lord. The writer of Hebrews takes a whole chapter and a half in Hebrews 4 and even into 5, reminding us that there is a rest that God has provided for us. We should be a people who enjoy resting along the way. Remember, we suffer, but we suffer according to God's will, and we suffer under His careful watch. Our suffering is never random or pointless. So because of that, we can humbly receive this gift of suffering, even of suffering, as from the Lord. And for our good. Again, I'm so thankful that Melissa was able to write those words as she asked for our prayer. She knows that what she's going through is, is from the Lord, that he's doing something in her life. And, and it may not be pleasant right now, but ultimately it's going to lead to glory. That's the whole message that Peter has been laying out for us. Yes, there is suffering that we, want, we, we will endure, but there's also great glory that follows that suffering. So we can receive these these difficulties, these trials, uh, again, even the most difficult of them, as from the Lord. 
ultimately for our good and, again, his glory. So humble yourselves. Uh, and, of course, as we humble ourselves, the Scripture says, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Those words, humble yourselves, could actually be translated, uh, be humbled. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a passive verb, which means that you're not really the one doing it. Uh, it's being done to you. This is, this is something, again, uh, from God. It's, it, God has brought this into your life for a purpose, and so receive it as from God. That's what it means to rest in the Lord. It means to trust Him. You can trust Him with the worst suffering of your life. Uh, he's God. He loves you. So humble yourselves. Be, be humbled. Uh, let God do in you what He is desiring to do in you through this season of suffering. That's what He's saying. Our struggles, our sufferings uh, should always be viewed by we who know the Lord, again, as coming from our sovereign Savior. I mean, God is in control of every aspect of our life, right? Do we, do we believe that? I mean, He's in control of everything. Yeah, He's in control of the good days, and we should praise Him for the good days, but He's also in control of the bad days. When things don't go the way we want them to go, God is in control of all of that. And so again, we yield ourselves in submission. We rest that God knows what he's doing. We don't worry. We don't fret. We don't, we don't <clears throat> resist what God is doing in our lives. We rest in what God is doing. He is, he is the God under whose mighty hand we live. Uh, that, that expression, mighty hand of God, is something that you see throughout the Scripture. And in the Old Testament specifically, it always points to God's ability to deliver His people from any danger or difficulty. And let me tell you, God's able to deliver you from anything. All right? So when He doesn't deliver you in the way that you think or in the time frame that you would like Him to, you trust Him. You rest in His love for you. You rest in the fact that He has a purpose and a plan in everything that He does. That's really what the next phrase is all about. So that at the proper time or, or in due time, He may exalt you. Uh, this is not simple. I think sometimes we look at a verse like this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So, and we, we emphasize this. So that at the proper time, He may exalt you. In other words, we say, oh, okay. Yeah, we may be going through hard times, but God's going to ultimately exalt us. And we get excited, and we, we should. But this isn't simply a promise that your hard time is going to come to an end. All right? It is a promise, but it's not simply a promise. It means that the suffering that you are going through, again, has been sent to you by God for a purpose. Uh, God knows what He's doing he will indeed deliver you from suffering, but he will do that when the time is right, at the proper time, when this experience in your life has accomplished the purpose for which he sent it. You know, whenever I'm reading verses like this, the, the first person that I always think about in the Bible is Joseph. And you think about the experience of Joseph. I mean, being a teenager and... Um, I mean, his brothers, first of all, contemplated killing him. Then they said, no, nah, we'll just throw him in the pit. We'll let him die there. No, we're not going to let him die in the pit. We'll, 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 we'll pull him out of the pit, but we're going to sell him into slavery. 
And then those slaves take him and ultimately sell him again. He winds up a servant in Potiphar's house. He's falsely accused in Potiphar's house. He's sent to prison. And then he languishes in prison for years until finally he's released. And then he's released to simply become a slave in the house of Pharaoh. And of course, I shared all of that in a matter of 15 seconds, but this is years of this young man's life. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have your own family want to kill you, throw you into a pit, sell you to people that are on their way to Egypt, only to be sold again, to find yourself in prison under false accusations? I mean, finally, Joseph was exalted, was he not? But he was exalted to that position as the next person under Pharaoh in the proper time, Peter would say. When God had done everything in that young man's life that he needed to do and that all of that terrible experience was meant to accomplish. I mean, my goodness, how in the world could he have stood before his brothers and forgiven them and said, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. He was talking about everything that he had been through. So we can rest in God's power. We can rest in the fact that whatever struggle we are going through, God has a purpose for it. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to be better human beings. God has a purpose. And then, of course, you know, how do you humble yourselves before God? Well, Peter gives us a pretty good idea. He says, look, just cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. That is... One way, perhaps the primary way, that we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We, that word cast means to throw. It, the, the, the picture there uh, in the Bible, the, the, the same word is used when the disciples threw their coats, their cloaks, over the donkey in order to, to, to provide a saddle for Jesus to ride. All right, that's the idea. You, you, you put the burden on someone else. Don't carry that burden around with you. Again, we, we talk about this distinction between humility and pride. Pride carries the burden around and says, I can do this. I can shoulder this load. I can solve my own problems. I can find my own way out. Humility says, I'm going to cast this on the Lord. He'll show me the way out. He'll take care of me. So we demonstrate humility by casting uh, our cares, our anxieties upon the Lord. We, we cease from our efforts to deliver ourselves. You know, that's the biggest problem with the world today. When you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, when you talk about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the reason that people so often reject that is because they're not interested in grace. They want to do it themselves. They want to earn their way. They're prideful. I don't need anybody to save me. I'll save myself. God loves us. He's passionate for his people. We can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And again, anxieties is the word there. And let me just say this, you know, the Bible on multiple occasions tells us that we shouldn't worry. And, and we shouldn't. But obviously, the way Peter's explaining here, anxiety's not a sin. We just need to give that anxiety to the Lord. All right? We give it to the Lord. We cast it on Him. We, we, we let Him shoulder the load for us. That's what humility does. Pride keeps it to yourself and determines you're going to fix this all on your own. Humility is resting in God's deep concern for the welfare of his beloved people. Remember, we're the beloved of God, right? We're the beloved of God. So let God, who cares for you more than you can ever imagine, 
Let him carry the burden for you. So we should rest. Rest along the way, church. Rest in the Lord. Trust him. Don't feel like everything is on you. Why? It'll wear you down fast. Cast your cares, your anxieties on the Lord. But along with our resting along the way, there will also be periods of, well, I'll just use the word that's used here, resisting, all right? God is not the only one interested in our experience, all right? Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. In other words, be on the alert. Yes, rest in the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. But be alert. Be awake. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. As we rest in God's power and purpose, we must also resist our enemy, the devil. We have an enemy in the world, all right? He's not just your enemy or my enemy, but we could say that. He's the enemy of God. He's the enemy of God's people, His church. He's the enemy of God's Word. He's a liar, a deceiver. Matter of fact, that's how he carries out his mission most of the time. Lying, deceiving, causing people, or at least hoping to cause people to believe something that isn't so. To get them off the track. To get their minds off of their loving and caring Heavenly Father that they could cast their burdens upon. That's not what Satan wants for us. So we have to resist him. We rest in the Lord, yes, but we resist our enemy, the devil. He is indeed that. He is an enemy, our foe. All right? We are at war, spiritual warfare. We must never lose sight of the fact that Satan is also interested in our lives. He, he wants to destroy us. I mean, he can't take our salvation away, right? And he can't do anything that, that God doesn't allow him to do. I think one of the big mistakes we make, well, there are two big mistakes we make when we think about Satan. First of all, we think too much of him. And I mean that in a couple of ways. We think about him too much. He occupies our thoughts way too much than he should. And we also think of him as being greater than he is. Satan is not God's spiritual counterpart. All right? They're not two equal superheroes up there battling it out. I mean, there's a battle going on, but let me tell you, Satan is, a, is, a, is an angel, a fallen angel, but he's a, God created Satan. And if you read the book of Job, you will find out real quick, Satan doesn't have any power anywhere other than that which God allows him. So if Satan's giving you a hard time, God's allowing him to do it, rest in the Lord, but resist the devil. Resist him. Again, don't think too much about him and don't give him too much credit, but also don't underestimate him. Don't think that you should just be able to live life as if he doesn't exist or ignore him. That, that word adversary, as a matter of fact, the Old Testament word, or in the New to Satan, the word Satan means adversary, opponent, enemy. Uh, the word devil, of course, means slanderer, uh, accuser, and then that's how Satan carries out his work. He opposes the work of God in our lives by slander and false accusations. He slanders God. He deceives us according to, just like he did Eve in the garden. Eve told the devil what God had said about eating from the trees in the garden. And the devil said, God didn't say that. And you won't die. 
And that's what he does. He tries to convince us that God's word is not true, that we can't trust our heavenly father who has loved us and provides for us and protects us. He is indeed dangerous, like a, like a roaring lion out there. He's not to be ignored. He's also not to be overestimated. God is far greater than he. And so how do we resist him? Well, he, he says here, resist him firm in your faith. Firm in the faith. The best way to resist the devil, to stand against him, is to have a clear understanding of what God's word says. Know the word of God so that when he tries to deceive you into thinking something else, you'll know that you're being deceived. I mean, a deception only works if you don't know the real deal, right? If you know the truth, then you, you can't be deceived. But too often... We don't even know what God has given us right here in the Bible. We, we, we carry around copies of it. We've got it on our phone, our tablet. We've got multiple copies on our bookshelves at home, our coffee tables. We don't even know what it says. Know the Word of God. Do the Word of God. Resist Him. Uh, the word resist means to stand against. It means to, to hold our ground. Uh, don't be moved by Satan's deceptive challenges in your life, his, his temptations. Don't be moved by that. But know what God has said. Take your stand upon what God has said. Again, believe God. Take God at his word. When God says, I'll, I'll never leave you or forsake you, I'm with you forever and ever till the end of the age, we need to believe that. And yet all too often we find ourselves thinking... Nobody understands. Nobody knows what I'm going through. God does. God does. Satan would like us to think that nobody knows, that nobody cares, that nobody is able to do anything about it at all, that, that our, our situation's hopeless, we're, we're helpless. But that's never true for the Christian. Resist him firm in the faith. When you look at the temptation of Jesus in the Gospels, every time Satan came to him with a temptation, what did Jesus do? He quoted Scripture, right? Well, this is what God says. This is what the Word of God says. That's what we need to be able to do. Every time we are tempted to disbelieve God, remember what the Scripture says. Preach to yourself. Call up the, you know, I'm so thankful that our children on Wednesday nights are in Awana now. They're, they're memorizing scripture. The, the focus of the Awana Club's program is that children memorize scripture. They're, they're hiding God's word in their hearts. And let me tell you, scripture says when we do that, we'll not sin against God. We'll know what God's word says. And to do that when they're so young, it'll stick with them throughout their lives. Church, we need to know what God says. We do have an enemy. But we resist him by knowing God's word, believing it, taking our stand upon it. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, very similar to what Peter is saying here. James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Sounds very similar. And then he says, resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. Again, here's the thing. We too often give Satan way too much credit. 
I mean, we think that he's on an equal par somehow even with God, that we, little measly human beings, we don't have a chance against this powerful enemy. But James says, hey, resist the devil. Submitting yourself to God, resist the devil. And what will he do? He'll flee. He'll flee from you. So don't feel powerless or overwhelmed by our opposition. Just trust the Lord. Take it to him. And then he comforts us with these words. <clears throat> he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Again, when you get to that place that you think you're the only one, you're not. You never have been. You never will be. Your brotherhood throughout the world, here in this church, let me tell you, there are people sitting right here in this room that can identify with you, sympathize with you, no matter what you're going through today. And our brothers and sisters around the world, whether we're talking about Melissa or whoever, we are not in this battle alone. We are, we're a fellowship. We're a family, right? We're doing this together. Now, again, that's why it's so important, why we talk about coming to church, being here together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need that. We need to look around and be reminded, I'm not by myself. There are people right here sitting on this row that love me. They know my name. They're, they've prayed for me. We're not alone. We are strengthened in our stand by knowing that there are others standing with us. You know, it's one thing, and, and, and throughout the Scripture, we find stories of men who went out, women as well, and, and stood alone against the enemy. We think of King David against Goliath, right? Of course, he wasn't King David at the time. He was that shepherd boy. We think of Elijah against the 400 prophets of Baal. Elijah kind of believed his own hype there after that was all over with. You know, he stood against the 400 prophets of Baal and he came away victorious, right? But then what did he do? He turned tail and ran for his life. Ultimately, he's alone, or at least he thought he was, asking God to kill him because he was the only one left standing for God. I don't know whether God chuckled in that moment or not. <laughs> or maybe it made him a little angry. But he reminded Elijah that he was not the only one. There were thousands of prophets who had not bowed a knee to Baal. And that's always the truth, church. We're never alone in our struggle. We have brothers and sisters in this battle who are standing beside us. And by the way, we need to understand that that's our, that's our responsibility. We need to stand by our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be sensitive to the needs of those around us. We need to let them know, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. I'm fighting with you. We need to do that for one another. So we rest in the Lord. We resist the devil and his deceitful schemes. And then, of course, Peter, <laughs> the loving pastor, reassures them once again. And then he says, look at verse 10. 
He says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a word of reassurance to us today. First of all, he does this wonderful thing. He says, after you've suffered a little while. We always need to be reminded that whatever struggle we're going through, whatever suffering we're enduring, it's just for a little while. Now, the, the, the bad news about that is that a little while may be for your lifetime. But when you consider your lifetime against an eternity with God, it's just a little while. For most of us, however, you're going to come out of this battle. The difficulty that you're experiencing right now is going to become a part of your past. You may even forget it in time, maybe quicker than you think. Of course, we know there are our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. They're struggling and their struggles, they'll endure the rest of their life. We talk about health issues. Many will deal with health issues throughout the duration of their life. But even if that is your fate, it's just for a little while. So after you've suffered a little while, he says, the God of all grace. Peter calls God the God of all grace. Paul calls God in 2 Corinthians the God of all comfort. Isn't it nice to know that that's the God we serve? He's the God of all grace. He's the God of all comfort. Uh, God comforts us by reminding us that our situation is only temporary. It's not forever. Uh, and that really, the suffering that we're going through now doesn't even compare to the glory that awaits us. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, that's how Paul referred to the sufferings of this present life. Light momentary affliction. Remember, Paul was beaten and stoned and left for dead. Uh, I mean, he was imprisoned more times and for longer than we would even like to imagine. He was shipwrecked and on and on and on we could go with the suffering that Paul endured. And he characterizes it all as this light momentary Affliction, And Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So again, this reminder that whatever difficulty you are going through, God is at work in that difficulty and he's preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. The glory is coming. The good is coming. God is indeed working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That is the truth. We need to stamp that truth in our hearts and in our heads. And whenever we face hardship and are tempted to quit, remind ourselves of that. God's using this for our good and his glory. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 18. He said, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. In other words, what we're experiencing now is going to pale into insignificance when we stand in the presence of our Heavenly Father in glory. I mean, it'll just be forgotten in light of the great glorious future. That, and, and by the way, what all of this talk is encouraging us to do 
is, is to live now in light of that truth. That eternal glory in the presence of God no longer hindered by the sin that now so easily entangles us is a reality. And our lives should be lived now in light of that truth. It ought to be an encouragement to us, a motivation to us, a reassurance. I mean, our hope is in God. The God of all grace has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. That, that, that phrase, the God of all grace, what we can take away from that, it's not just a nice title for God or description of God, but it literally means that God is the possessor of grace. If you need grace, you know who's got it? God has it. And you know what God does with the grace that he has? He gives it to you. He's the possessor of grace and the giver of grace. We're told that we can go before the throne of God, and what is it called? It's called the throne of grace. What do we find at the throne of grace? We find mercy when we need help. God is our hope. He is the God of all grace. He has called us to an eternal glory, that eternal home and the glorious presence of our Lord. What what this verse means is that, that all of that is settled. If you have trusted in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, all right, if you're a child of God this morning, then your home is in heaven. And on the new earth, when God just restores everything, it's a done deal. I mean, these words imply that this is something that God has already accomplished in the past. It's not something he's going to do. It's something he's already done. It's done. It's it's a guarantee. Again, what does the scripture say? We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Our inheritance is etched in stone or whatever, more permanent and everlasting than that would be. It's a done deal. Rest in that. Hope in that. Trust in that when you're going through difficult times. And then know that in the midst of that, God's going to help you. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, I'm emphasizing those words, it's God that comes to our rescue. As Neil said, it's he that we look to when we we look to the hills, we see the dangers and the difficulties of this life. Who's going to help us? God is. God us, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. We could take the time to work through all of those words. We won't do it today. They're, they're, they're virtually synonymous. And what that means is, what all those, Peter stacks all these words up to emphasize the fact that when you're struggling, when you're suffering, if you will take that struggle, that suffering, and cast it upon the Lord, he will strengthen you to the point that you will become virtually immovable. Immovable. He will plant you on solid ground. He'll give you what you need in that moment. And then, of course, Peter just, and we see this so often in Scripture, he kind of spontaneously breaks into a doxology. He begins to praise the Lord. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that's what we ought to be doing today. What Peter's saying is, may the rule of our God, may our sovereign God, may may this God of grace, may he rule over his kingdom and his people forever and ever, from this moment forward, forever and ever. And of course, we know that he does, and we know that he will, and he says, amen, may it 
be so. We ought to spend our days praising God for whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in. Because we know that they're from Him, they're for our good, and ultimately for His glory. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful that I don't have to wonder about who's in control of my world. Now, I may not know who the next president's going to be, or the next ruler of Russia, or Venezuela. I mean, I know that there are places around the world we worry about who's in charge. Who's in charge over there in Iraq and Iran? That, that troubles us, right? Church, we don't have to worry about who's in charge of our world. It's God who has dominion, and we should praise Him for it every single day. So I guess I would just close with this today. Does God rule over your world? Is He your King of kings and Lord of lords? Has there been a time in your life, this is what I'm asking you, has there been a time in your life when you realized that you were a sinner, separated from God because of your sin, that you needed a Savior, and in that moment you saw the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation, and you turned to Him in repentance, abandoning your sin, and trusting Him, receiving Him as Savior and Lord? Have you done that? Is there, that's something that happens in our life. Have you done that? Has there been that moment for you? Because if there hasn't been, it can be today. Right here in this very auditorium, back in 1982, my day to turn to the Lord came. God saved me that morning, right here in this church. And I've been praying for years that God would do the same thing for person after person after person. God rules this world. Embrace Him today as your King. Cry out to Him this morning in repentance and faith. God will save you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.